Blog Talk Radio. Kulila misozi Nikayanga na banja latu Kupadwa tinabatwa mushe Komalelo lipasulika Nikale Tinakalapo Kondwela Lelo eka Titikumbukila kweta chokela Ama ikubutika mutima Komazoti tazisoa Nimaona misozi masomwake Nimakuto abale nimakuto Good morning, good morning, good morning, and welcome to Zambia Block Talk Radio. It is Saturday, February the 13th, and we do want to thank you all for joining us from whichever part of the world that you are listening. Good afternoon, Europe. Good afternoon, most of Africa. Good evening, those in the Western Pacific, uh, Australia, and all those parts of the world in Japan. And good morning, like we say in these parts of the world, good morning, America, the Canadas, and everybody who lives in these areas. Thank you for joining us. I'll be your host this morning. It's 902 in Dallas, Texas, at 21 degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that is nothing. I will not complain because uh, the part of the country that Dr. Joseph is joining us from, uh, the winter is more severe than in my area, so I won't say much about that. My name is Nathan Inkama, and I'll be your host this morning. In our continued series in celebrating and recognizing Black History Month, we are looking at the achievements uh, of people of color, if you wish for us to use that uh, terminology. So joining us this morning is uh, uh, Dr. Joseph Patrick Inkolola, holds the position of senior staff scientist in the Center for Virology and Vaccine Research at the Harvard uh, Medical School, affiliate Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. This is in Boston, uh, Massachusetts. So we're greatly honored to have Dr. Nkolola join us to talk about his work and his life. Dr. Joseph, good morning, and thank you for joining us. Uh, good morning, Nathan. Thank you for having me on your show today. Excellent, excellent. Uh, should I even say how is the weather there? <laughs> uh, it's pretty cold in Massachusetts. I think it's about uh, minus five degrees Celsius today, so it's a, a pretty cold uh, winter winter morning here. Uh, yeah, I know. That's why I said, should I even go there? Because I know how it is there. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> well, we, we, we really wanted to have you today to discuss uh, your life, your career, 
and everything in those lines. I know uh, your name comes up because of your participation in the, your and involvement in uh, the virus, uh, the vaccine production to do with the current situation the the, the world is facing. Uh-huh. Let me yeah, let me begin by saying um, when when did your interest in, in in science begin? At what stage of your life? Yeah, so I think my first real you know interest in science probably began um, in late secondary school, so mm-hmm. about grade grade ten. Um, so up to up to that point, I hadn't been sure what career path I had would want to want to take. Um, but when I got to about the middle of secondary school, I really had a, a a good understanding and a keen interest in mm. learning about things science. They just fascinated me, and so I think the early roots were established, uh, you know, somewhere around middle secondary school towards the end of secondary school. Mm. You 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 graduated or you entered or you went to the University of Zambia, popularly known as UNZA, and then you went and did uh, uh, your graduate studies, came back to UNZA again. Uh-huh. So share uh-huh. with us that experience of being a student, having been a student, and you go back to the same institution as a faculty member. How was that like? Yeah, well, that's 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 a very good question, Nathan. So, I mean, it, it, you know, it's it's very unique in that um, I was able to see the institution from two perspectives. Um, mm. So, obviously, my first experience at the university uh, as a student was, you know, this you know, bright, starry-eyed young man um, from secondary school, you know, entering tertiary education, very excited to learn and to absorb what the, the lecturers' um, uh, knowledge that they were disseminating in the classes. Mm. So it was, it, was, it was a very, you know, pleasant experience. I mean, the University of Zambia at the time was um, the sole university in the country, so it was, you know, a, a great honor and prestigious to be accepted to study there. And so when, when I got there, you know, I always tried to, to, to do the best that I could, uh, academically, um, mm. sometimes I was, I was successful. Other times, maybe not so much. <laughs> um, but you know, I, I, you know, really looked up to the the lecturers, and you know, was very appreciative of what they brought to the table in terms of mm. teaching the students and imparting knowledge to the students. Um, but I, I, even at that time, I never imagined myself being on the other side of of things. You know, so you know many years coming back to do the same thing. So at the time, I didn't have that vision. But um, of course, you know, after graduating and doing advanced studies and coming back, you know, I I really felt, you know, that, you know, it was great to be on the other side of the equation where you're now seeing a new generation of, you know, individuals studying at the Mm. university and it's your turn to impart this knowledge on them and give them a chance to have successful careers as well. So it was, in a way, a way of giving back, I think, for yes. me in terms of when I became a lecturer as opposed to when I was a student. But, you know, both experiences were, were very were very pleasant for me, and uh, I, look, I look fondly on, back on both experiences. 
Which department were you in and what were you teaching? Yes, I was in the Department of Biological Sciences and uh, I was teaching uh, molecular biology um, for uh, the senior undergraduate students there. Okay, interesting. Is it my understanding that your initial uh, intention was to get into medical school and things tend, tend the other way? That's true. Um, I did, you know, when I first entered the university, I, I had uh, really uh, geared myself to, to try to get into uh, a medical uh, pro- medical degree program at the university. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately, I didn't quite make the cut when when time came to, you know, selecting individuals to, to, to do medicine. So I was disappointed in that, but um, not the point that I felt that, you know, it was medicine or bust. You know, there were lots of other very um, exciting uh, careers in science that were, were coming up at the time. Mm-hmm. So you know, although I didn't get into medical school, I, I you know, used my motivation within the science field to try and, and further my, my education that way. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You went to yeah. Belgium. And you wanted to finish a point? No, no. I was, I was waiting for your okay. next question. <laughs> yes. Uh, the, my, my next question is, uh, you went to Belgium. I think Belgium is French-speaking country. You can address that as we discuss. You went to Belgium mm-hmm. and the United Kingdom for graduate studies. Um, obviously, two different countries, uh, different experiences, institutions that you attended. Share with us your experiences in those two countries. Yeah, sure. So I was in Belgium. This was in the mid, mid-90s um, for my master's degree. And mm-hmm. so Belgium is actually a, a bilingual country. It has uh, both French and a language known as Flemish, which is a dialect oh. of Dutch. as as, as national languages. So French is predominantly in the south of the country, while uh, the Dutch is spoken in the the northern part of Belgium. Um, And so my degree program was actually on the the Dutch side of things. Um, Very fortunate for me, I didn't have to learn Dutch. (laughs) It was a a program that was was in English. It was an English program. Um, It was a... A very international program. We had uh, students um, from different parts of the world. But what made this particular program uh, very unique and interesting was that it actually focused on scientists from developing countries. Mm. Um, So uh, we had individuals from other African countries who were there, from South America, uh, a few Asian participants as well. So um, as you can well imagine, being in Belgium, the, the, the one um, thing that was uh, challenging was obviously the social elements, such as you know learning the language and getting um, getting by in that way. Um, mm-hmm. But I found the people very friendly. Uh, they were very open, and uh, the culture was you know it was a very eye-opening. It was my first time to to live on the on the European continent, so it was interesting okay. you know, just to to absorb the culture and, and stuff. With the UK, I think it was a bit more um, easier to 
to um, settle in there because of our historical ties to the yes. UK. Um, mm-hmm. Culturally, you know, things were just, you know, just so much, so much easier, much more straightforward to navigate. And of course, without the language barrier, that was very, very helpful as well. Um, mm-hmm. And so both, both experiences were, were great experiences for me. They were obviously varied experiences. Um, UK was, had its advantages. Of course, there's a larger Zambian community there, so oh, okay. I was able to interact with, with more of my nationals mm-hmm. there than in, in Belgium. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, where I was in Belgium, that was um, mm. the capital of, of the, the EU, so it was mm. you know very international as well in its own right. So a lot of Unshima going around in the UK, right? Oh yeah, lots of shima, <laughs> lots of uh, lots of, of Pwando as well. <laughs> a lot of Kapenta, a lot of uh, independent yeah. celebrations and getting yeah, together, of, that kind right. of thing. Interesting. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah. how did you find yourself at Harvard? And I I need to emphasize the second point of my question for the sake of the listeners. Uh, uh-huh. Everybody, yes. Those when Doctor Ankolola went to UK, he he's, he did a PhD at Oxford. That's right. That's correct. Yes. Yes. So, how did you find yourself at Harvard? You already had a PhD from Oxford, Doctor Ankolola. Oxford is, <laughs> uh, you know what I'm saying. So, how did you right. find yourself at Harvard? Well, I think it was actually it was um, you know it wasn't really by uh, default. It was it was kind of a little bit by design. So mm-hmm. as I was coming towards the, the end of my studies at Oxford, you know, I was okay. you know trying to see what I could do just to further my experience a bit more. And it just so happened at the time that there was um, a laboratory at the Harvard School of Public Health mm-hmm. and had a very uh, big program uh, to do with HIV research in uh, in Botswana. And so essentially what I did was I, I reached out to the um, the head of this laboratory saying, you know, I'm a, I'm a Zambian national, you know, mm-hmm. I'm very passionate about, you know, my research in HIV vaccine development and you know I'd, I'd be interested if if you have a slot if you could you know come and uh, if I could come over and, and train a few more years with you um and you know I just you know took a chance he didn't know me I didn't know mm. him personally I wasn't connected to him and uh, very fortunate for me uh, things worked out pretty well and then he said okay let's 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 talk about it so we had a few discussions and then he he said, okay, yeah, I think I think we can take you. We're we're, we're interested in trying to make uh, vaccines as a small component of the work we do. So I'm sure we can give you a good experience here. Just so like that's that. how I crossed. Yeah, that's how I crossed <laughs> the Atlantic uh, to 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 move from Oxford to to Harvard, and this was in 2004. Okay, okay. So you came straight from Harvard. From rather from Oxford into Harvard. Right, that's correct. Yes. Mm, interesting. Uh-huh. Where did this passion? Um, what what is it with your passion about vaccine development in infectious diseases? Any special reason? Any where does that come from? Yeah, yeah. So I th- I think 
when I when I you know as I look back and I, I remember how I was thinking at the time, you know, I I've, I've always had you know a passion to to do something which translates into into helping others, into helping you know meet you know medical needs which you know are challenging not just for for Zambia but for the world. Mm-hmm. And so you know I was really driven early on in my career by um you know witnessing um like many others um the the devastation that was caused by by HIV and mm-hmm. you know you know I lost personally lost family members friends relatives and you know just witnessing you know the the the, the burden you know the misery the pain and the death that this disease caused it really you know inspired something inside of me like you know I'd really like to make a change. I'd really love mm. to make a difference. And so that's where my passion for, you know, making vaccines came from, in particular HIV. And then on, on the understanding that, you know, you know, you can make vaccines against HIV, mm-hmm. I always thought to myself, well, you know, why not use this knowledge to, you know, expand it to other diseases which also need vaccines and medical interventions. Mm-hmm. So that's essentially where my 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 passion came from excellent excellent you're listening to zambia yeah. blog talk radio my guest this morning is a staff scientist at uh, the best israel deaconess medical center that is an affiliate of harvard uh, medical school this is our continued series on celebrating black history month we are simply highlighting and recognizing um, African or black people who have achieved extremely exciting things. Um, some of you may not be aware, but uh, that uh, Dr. Ancolola is part of the team that, um, I don't know whether I'm giving away information here as we go, but it's fine. <laughs> no, no, it's quite fine. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Ancolola is part of the team that is uh, that is that did the, 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 the work on the vaccine that Johnson & Johnson has come up with. Um, if you have called in and you'd like to ask a question, I don't want to start calling on people anyhow. Preparing one of the things tough things, Roger, Dr. Patrick, Dr. Casonzo, preparing to talk to a scientist. You have no idea how much pain, I'm joking, that much pain I went in to prepare this interview. I'm like, how do you interview a scientist? (laughs) It it, it was quite something, very interesting. I I looked up a lot of things. But, you know, as, uh-huh. as you may be aware, Dr. Ancolora, thank God for the Internet. It solves a lot of problems, you know. That's right. The Internet <laughs> solves a lot of problems. Uh, the article in which you are featured in the Zambia Daily Mail, some of you have not seen that. Please read it, find it. It's everywhere. Now, having given away that little information I just did there about the little pain I went through, what is a regular work day for like for a researcher like yourself? Share with us your your regular work day. How is it like? Okay, well, thanks. That's a great question, Nathan. So typically, my day starts around um, eight thirty in the morning. Um, I live a little 
outside of uh, where the laboratory is. So I, I catch a train to get there. Okay. It takes about you know 30 minutes to, to get to the office. And so I, I get to the office around half past eight in the morning. Um, so typically I, I will first meet with, with, it, with my team. So I supervise um, three uh, individuals who are in my section of the laboratory. So I'll, I'll sit down with them and then we will um, discuss what um, the plans are um, for that day or for that week, if it's, if it's earlier on in the week. And mm -hmm. then what we'll do is that we'll make sure that all the assignments have been um, distributed uh, equally and um, everybody's clear on what needs to be done. And then um, I also have work that I personally um, do myself in the lab. So I have experiments which um, I will perform to um, try and find out uh, the answers to several scientific questions. So a typical day would be, you know, me after meeting with my, my team, I'll sit at the bench. Um, I have my experiments, which are usually designed in advance. So I'll, you know, get all the equipment and all the things I need to perform those experiments. Uh, these experiments typically, you know, on an average day, you know, they'll take a couple of hours to complete. Mm. Um, and once, once they're completed, um, we compile all the information and the data that we've generated, and we, we analyze this data, and then uh, we share it with uh, the, the head of the laboratory, and then we, we figure out um, what additional experiments or additional uh, questions we need to address um, uh, dependent on the, the, the information that we generate. Um, okay. So the a typical work day is from 8.30, and I usually leave the lab or anywhere a little bit after 5 o'clock, uh, 17 hours in the afternoon. So what are, what are you looking for in these experiments? What, 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 or maybe what my question should be, what type of research are you involved in? Yes, so our laboratory is what's known as an immunology laboratory. Okay. And, and we, in particular, we look at human immunology. Mm -hmm. So we look at and study how the human body protects itself against disease. Yes. But at the same time, we also are trying to develop um, modalities which can help in disease prevention, such as uh, the vaccines that we make. So we look at different viruses and try and understand how they cause disease in the body and how they, you know, uh, their mechanisms of action. After understanding how these viruses cause disease in the body, we then try and come up with interventions that we hope will be um, helpful in preventing uh, the said diseases. Um, so mm. it's mostly uh, a mixture of... Um, Virology, the study of viruses, uh, mm -hmm. immunology, the study of how our immune systems protect us against disease, and vaccinology, the development of vaccines. So we, okay. we work in all three of these areas for different types of diseases. Mm, Roger, you hear how educated I'm becoming right here? I just <laughs> gained a lot of knowledge here. <laughs> Oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes. 
before I allow my colleagues to come in, uh, let, let's let's uh-huh. let's bring let's bring this home, if I may use that uh, that terminology, uh, Doctor Nkolola. When we say African countries need to invest in research, what is missing, and what does this entail? Yeah, so I I think my take on that is that um you know research sometimes is not um brought to the forefront of priorities just because um most African countries um have you know many pressing needs and uh research sometimes is probably not high on the agenda uh, in mm-hmm. terms of those needs and so um, there is certainly a need to invest in research because um, research is what will provide us solutions to some of the most pressing problems. And this research goes in many arenas, not just scientific. You know, there's, 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 it extends to the social sciences as well. Mm-hmm. But I think why it's important to, to fund the research is that it actually can give us a lot of um, homegrown solutions to some of the, the problems that you know the continent faces. Um, of course, this doesn't come without challenges. Um, the primary one being um, financial. Um, to be able to conduct good research, you, one needs to have good resources, and one needs to have you know the the personnel available to conduct the research. So I think it just requires perhaps more commitment from the continent. Um, mm-hmm. But like I said, there, there are many competing interests which most African governments are challenged with. So it makes it difficult to really allocate um, strong budgets towards research. But I think the situation is changing, um, maybe not very quickly, but it is changing. And uh, I think given time, and the resources and you know the expertise that you know you know the continent can really rise to the occasion and for, for mm-hmm. you know addressing research needs across many many different um, areas of research of um of work sorry okay this is where we we bring in the, my other colleagues to before we continue with this discussion because i think i asked that i asked that question deliberately Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's important. I think we highlight that because there is the issue of is there any work being done on vaccines or let's just be hit the thing on the head. Is there any uh-huh. work being done in terms of developing a vaccine on the African continent? Yeah, so in terms of, of vaccine development, in terms, um, one has to think of it in a very broad perspective. Mm-hmm. It's not a, a one-size-fits-all kind of scenario, like, you know, when you make one vaccine, you have to do that for, for all the other vaccines you make. It's really very dependent on the type of vaccine you're making, Okay. The, the requirements and the process of making that vaccine, 
and you know the the infrastructure that's required, the equipment that's required, the personnel that's that's required. Now, um, as far as I'm aware, in on the African continent, the there is not much work going on in general terms in terms of vaccine development. I think um, there's only I think the WHO kind of only shows there's only one country. I think it's uh, Senegal, which was uh, in 2016 um, Mm -hmm. uh, producing a yellow fever vaccine. Um, Aside from Senegal, I think only um, uh, Egypt and South Africa uh, have some facilities for vaccine production, but not development per se. So okay. these are facilities which actually just kind of make a, a finished product of the vaccine as opposed to developing it. Developing it's, like, it's like assembling an asse- a car assembly plant, right? Yes. Where you put right. the parts exactly. together. Mm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's a, a perfect analogy. Um, and I think, uh, I think Tunisia had um, some very um, preliminary uh, set up to look at some uh, TB vaccines, uh, TB vaccine known as BCG, as well as mm-hmm. the rabies vaccine. Um, and I think Ethiopia had started something very, very small at some point. But overall, I think the, the bigger picture is that there are you know, really no vaccines of prominence that are being developed on, a con- on our continent, which is a shame, really. Um, and I think this is something that, you know, can be drawn back to the previous question you asked me about, you know, funding, research, and mm-hmm. you know, what we need to do to invest to, to, to change this picture in the, in the coming years. Mm. Excellent. Interesting. Yeah, yeah because there is um, this uh, thing that has come up, uh, what, what are we calling it, uh, Roger? Africa Free Trade? Africa Continental Free Trade Area. Yeah, because, I mean, I know you are a scientist, Dr. Nkolo. I don't want to drag you into... My, the, the thing, we shall ask this question when we do the, the summit on the first week of uh, Saturday. We're going to do a summit on the Africa Free Trade uh-huh. Area. And I think we should ask okay. uh, our guests, the ambassadors, when Africa does the the free trade area things that they talk about, how much of that component is in um, is on is really set aside or is looking at uh, research work and uh, all mm-hmm. those things. I mean, like you've rightly said, I've written quite a lot here. Um, it's not high on the agenda. That's a very Profound statement you just made there, uh, Dr. Patrick. If you want to come in, you will please do so. This is one area that you did, I think, in your work at FDA. Mm, I yes. have a co- yes. yes, thank you. Um, what I what I want to do is first thank you and pay tribute to uh, the brother that's on the phone sharing <clears throat> with us his. His knowledge, his skills, his expertise. I, I am so honored to to have this opportunity that you're giving me, Nathan, to talk to him. He's he, 
he's what we would call as the colloquialism is he is a smoking brother. <laughs> let, me, let, let, let me let me share let me share um two things um, with respect to financing and funding. Uh, as as we all know and I've talked about it on several occasions, we all know that there are two types of research. There's pure research and then there is analytical research. The analytical research can be can fund the pure research. The difference is the pure research is what my brother is talking about. Um, And the analytical research is what I've done in the past with my colleagues at the Food and Drug Administration. Analytical research is finding quick methods and procedures that can determine the levels of what we're looking for, the chemicals or the food products or the insects that's found in foods that FDA regulates. So if a regulatory laboratory Mm -hmm. is set up in an African country, this regulatory laboratory or these regulatory laboratories can generate funding and finances, and these finances in turn can fund a pure research laboratory. So I would like um, our brothers on the phone to be thinking about our brothers and sisters can be um, thinking about this approach as well as the respective governments. If you develop a regulatory laboratory, you can make a lot of money and the government in turn can use some of this money, these finances, the taxes to finance pure laboratories. Okay. Hmm. That's that's interesting. Thank you for that input, uh, Doctor. I don't know whether you wanted to comment on that, uh, Doctor Kolo. No, no. I, I just wanted to say thanks as well. I think that's 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 a that's a strategy that I wasn't uh, acutely aware of, but I think it, it actually makes perfect sense now that I think of it. Um, and you know, it you know kind of reduces the burden on you know you know the governments to mm. actually draw this out of the national budget there's, there's there's a way that these funds can be raised um which doesn't short circuit other you know priorities within the national interest mm. Mm. that's good yeah. okay let's go to pennsylvania yeah. um uh, daniel she said please go ahead uh, thank you, Bankama. Thank you, Dr. Ankara, for joining us and, uh, uh, on this uh, Af- African History Month. It's very, very important, uh-huh. Zambia Block Talk Radio, for having Dr. Ankara and uh, as a Zambian community and uh, for uh, people who have joined us uh, and for sharing your experience uh, 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 through your education growing up in, uh, in Zambia. For me, you mean a lot because you're coming from Zambia. And for you to contribute to the world, and my question is, um, uh, as you go with what you you're doing, what are you? I mean, what do you think we can do back home for uh, having Zambians staying there and uh, contributing from home 
not not uh, not not from here. And uh, on top of that, too, uh, I did the diesel mechanic, but I, 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 you know, when I went to diesel mechanic, after they teach me, uh, we didn't start as, uh, you know, we, we started from the ground, how the engine works. We, we, we started how the fuel, you know, uh, uh, when you combust the, between the, the difference of the fluid. And from there, it helped me to understand uh, things just like you are explaining how you know yourself uh, 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 started, uh, how the immune system, uh, uh, how the virus attack immune system, how you coming up with the medicine, and what can we? I mean, back home, are you in, are you involving in uh, in um, helping the government to realize people like yourself? That way, we don't make mistakes of like uh, ordering uh, condoms that are effective and uh, medicine that are ex- uh, 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 expiring. Um, what are you doing with uh, helping people back home? Well, I know it's... Yeah, uh, so, uh, yeah, go ahead. Yes, so thank you. First of all, thank you for the very, very, very kind words of, of support and encouragement. And it means a lot to me to have, you know, fellow nationals, you know, recognize, you know, contributions that, you know, people, um, mm. you know, have made towards some of these vaccine development programs. Um, and so when I think about the people at home and, you know, how one can motivate them and encourage them and help them in, in contributing in some of these areas, I mean, it's it's, it's a very broad type of appeal that you have to um, generate in, in the general public. Mm. Um, number one, I think it's very important to be able to communicate information um, in an effective manner, in a real-time manner, so people actually have the facts at their fingertips. Um, this is very instrumental in you know helping um, people manage any type of situation. Um, In particular, if you think about COVID, you know, the things that are being told to us now is that, you know, Mm -hmm. try and retain social distance, do wear masks to not only protect yourself, but others that you care and love around you. And, you know, try and keep your hand hygiene up. You know, those types of things are things that, you know, must be driven home, um, constantly and we shouldn't get tired of you know distributing that message to people and and you know just kind of making sure that you know this is you know basically basic information that everybody knows and can try and adhere to to protect themselves and the people that they care for um a lot of things like a lot of things in order to contribute um people will have to you know reach out to the government and you know we are many, many professionals, both within the country and outside of Zambia, who are, you know, willing to help. You know, government mm-hmm. just needs to approach us and let us know how we can get involved and what guidance we can give them. Um, we're very, you know, patriotic and would love to see the nation prosper and not suffer from, you know, any kind of um, affliction like the current pandemic. So we make ourselves available. We try and advertise what we do. We try and help people 
understand what we do so that it demystifies the whole process of you know, some right. of the things that um, come out of this research that we do. Um, mm. So, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult for me to get into, you know, other issues pertaining on the ground in Zambia right now concerning, you know, maybe substandard goods and things like that. But I think if the right information is given in a timely manner to the population and people are encouraged to um, adhere to, you know, these um, ad- this advice from, you know, professionals, and I think your half of the battle is won right there. Mm-hmm. And then the remaining half becomes just a matter of implementation and, and consistency. Mm. Okay, that's good. Thank you. Let's go to Canada, where they have the best winter weather in the world. <laughs> yeah, Dr. Kola, like welcome. <laughs> uh, meeting you for the second time. We were, yeah, we were in the HH um, town hall. The other was it on Sunday? Last Sunday. So, uh, we benefit of some of the answers you 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 gave for your own information. There was. Uh, on Facebook, there was someone who was asking why this vaccine is uh, is so quick. Back in the day, it took so long to develop a vaccine. Uh-huh. So I just told I just told them that back in the day there was no WhatsApp. Nowadays we have WhatsApp. So <laughs> uh, technology technology has changed. So you can't right. need to answer that way. I, I, I think you gave us that uh, some of that answer. Anyway, so let me come to my questions. Three of them, quick ones. Uh-huh. Number one, Dr. Nkorola, what does a vaccine do? That's number one. Number two, the the speed at which this vaccine has been developed is a concern to a lot of people. Uh, Can you please uh, uh, address uh, uh, that one? And then number three, I've forgotten. Uh So I'll just give you those two. Number one, what does the vaccine do? Number two, uh, why so fast? Uh Oh, number three is, Uh especially for Africa. I don't know about the African-Americans here in uh, in Canada, but we are very, very skeptical. I'm not sure if you know why uh, we we are. I understand there were some problems back uh, in the U.S., uh, this cascade people were used for bad vaccines, but for Africa, I am not sure, Doctor Ankorola, what the problem is, and therefore what your suggestion will be for us to convince our people that this vaccine is safe. Please go ahead, Doctor Ankorola. Uh-huh. Thank you so much. Okay, great. Thank you very much for your questions. So I'll, I'll start with the mm-hmm. first one: is and what does the vaccine do? So to put this in, in very, very simple terms, um, vaccines train our bodies on how to fight infection. That's what they do in essence. So the way vaccines typically work is that when they're injected into a person, mm-hmm. this person will respond to the vaccine and their immune system, so certain cells within their body, will recognize the vaccine, and they will create a memory for the the vaccine. 
Okay. So, for example, if you're vaccinating against COVID, um, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get your body to generate a memory for COVID so that should you become exposed to the real virus, COVID, when you, you know, leave your house or you become exposed to it, your, your, your body has a memory for the virus and it's able to effectively and very quickly control it should the virus try and infect you. So the vaccines work by training our bodies, in particular our immune systems, to fight against infection and disease. Now, uh, to move on to your second question, the speed at which these vaccines have been developed. Um, yes, this is really unprecedented, even within the scientific community, where we've never had a vaccine that has been designed and come up for use in people within the course of a single year. Now, one thing that has helped this vaccine development move very quickly, um, as you mentioned, in, uh, as you were actually asking the question, is that some of the technologies that are being used to make some of these vaccines are technologies which can be very quickly uh, uh, designed and implemented. Uh, and so because of the severity of the pandemic and the disruption it's caused to not just to, to public health, but to national economies, there was a very, very urgent need to have a vaccine developed in a short time to try mm -hmm. and control the level and the number of infections which are happening all over the world. And so the concerns with the speed um, are not totally unwarranted. This is the fastest that you know science has moved from developing to testing to producing a vaccine. But um, I would say that although these speed has been and has been you know very very fast, um, the community, as in the scientific community, has tried to maintain all the required standards that would typically um, be um, observed during normal vaccine development. In order to speed up the timeline, though, what has been done is that, you know, a lot of uh, companies have actually um, overlapped certain activities. So if I can give an example, typically what you, what you would do is you develop your vaccine test it in animals, and then test mm. it in uh, different numbers of humans. And so for these vaccines, what has been done is that, you know, as soon as you're getting, as soon as you are getting an early good readout that the vaccines are doing something in animals, you didn't wait until you completed those animal studies. You already had enough data to, to, to move into, into uh, early testing in humans and vice versa. And at the end of this whole process, instead of waiting until your trials are done, you're already making large quantities of these vaccines so they become readily available very, very quickly. So in terms of a pandemic like this, obviously we can't wait the typical five or six, seven years that it takes to make a vaccine. Normally this requires really a vaccine uh, immediately to control the pandemic. Now I know there is a lot of skepticism. This now leads to your third question about, you know, how the African continent can overcome 
you know, vaccine hesitancy. And um, this is not only unique to Africa, even to these developed countries where some of us find ourselves, there's still, even with um, all the information and resources at hand, there's also still some people who are very skeptical about vaccines. So my um, take on that is that it will really take, you know, um, a lot of work in trying just to get the science behind these vaccines out there. I think that's what will help us overcome um, mm. these um, the skepticism. And, you know, sometimes it helps, like, you know, when, you know, in this particular case, I'm a Zambian scientist and I've, you know, I'm working mm. on these types of vaccines. So you, there's a face, you know, there's a national face that you can put and say, it's not just another country giving us what they what they believe is right. Mm. You know, one of our own people is, was involved in this process. That's so, right. And, and they're telling us that this, you know, this, this is very rigorous. It's looked at very carefully. And these vaccines, it's not just that they'll stop evaluating them now. They're, the evaluation is going to be continual. So it's not like it's a product now and that's it, that's the end. Safety is always the primary concern with vaccines. So these vaccines are going to be looked at for long term and you know, the you know, the safety profile will will certainly be assessed as one of the primary readouts as they're being rolled out. Okay. Where is your work yeah. on the HIV vaccine? And uh has there been any um what's the word has there been any sort of resistance or <laughs> backlash on on the ethical component considering how hiv is transmitted i mean from the religious perspective or point of view yes so yeah nathan and that's a great question as well so hiv as as everybody knows on the program has been with us for, for several decades now. Um, the advent of antiretroviral drugs has really mm. changed the the outcome of this disease. It's not the the death sentence that it used to be. You know, people are living on you know drugs which you know have restored their you know way of life um, essentially to what it was prior to infection. But, you know, the numbers of cases in the world still of, of global concern, there's still a uh, need in order to protect um, individuals who don't or haven't been exposed to it. There's need to generate a vaccine that will, you know, that can hopefully prevent infection. Now, the mm -hmm. problem with HIV is that it's, it mutates extremely quickly. So, mutate, oh, wow. I mean... The virus can change its form in an infected individual very, very quickly. So our bodies are actually able to put up a response against HIV infection. But the problem comes from the way the virus changes itself constantly. So our bodies are always trying to catch up to try and block the virus, but the virus is always one step ahead. Now, there is a lot of HIV vaccine work going on in the world. Um, mm -hmm. I'm fortunate enough to be in a group that has focused on this problem for the past decade and a half. And so, again, with our partner, uh, Johnson & Johnson, we actually have um, 
a trial of a, a vaccine concept that we developed um, in collaboration with them. And um, we'll know the results of that particular trial um, maybe towards the end of this year, early next year. Uh, that being said, there have been many uh, HIV vaccine trials and concepts, which unfortunately haven't generated the types of results that would be indicative of uh, protecting an individual. Okay. But we continue to learn a lot every day. We do a lot of work in the area. We know more about HIV than any other any other virus. And, you know, I think the questions of how it will be distributed and, you know, any ethical restrictions will really um, come to the fore of the conversation once mm -hmm. we're able to scientifically show a vaccine that has some hope of protecting individuals. From HIV. Yeah, from HIV. Yeah. Mm, okay. There's something in my reading things about your work and what you're involved mm -hmm. in. This 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 phrase kept coming up. What is a A D twenty six based vaccine? What's the mm -hmm. significance or uniqueness of that? Yeah, great, great question, Nathan. I'm sure a lot of people have have probably wondered the very question that you're you're asking about. So the way a vaccine can be delivered to the human body can mm. use different platforms. So there are different ways that you can provide the vaccine to people. Okay. So to mention some of these different ways, you can inject what's known as a vaccine as a protein. You can inject a vaccine as a genetic material. And this is a case when you're talking about technologies such as DNA and RNA. Mm. And there's also a platform known as viral vectors. And this is where AD26 falls. So AD, AD26, AD26, is actually a modified um, cold virus which has been... Um, generated such that it can carry your vaccine uh, vaccine proteins into the cell and then but the actual virus itself the ad26 doesn't has been engineered so it doesn't cause any uh, disease but is an effective carrier of the vaccine into cells so typically ad26 would is just causes very minor uh, common cold. But the way it's been designed is that once it gets into cells, it can't multiply, but at the same time is able to tell the cell what mm. the vaccine uh, protein is so the cell can make it and then the, the cell um, has a response to the vaccine. So put in very general terms, it's a carrier, it's a vector, as, they call, as we call it, okay. to deliver your vaccine. As we conclude, we, we we shall definitely work on having you back. There's a lot of things to talk about, and uh, especially uh -huh. when the Johnson and Johnson uh, vaccine rolls out, uh, we probably uh -huh. give it a few months and see how it is working. Um, this is a special program where we are featuring African people and their achievements in life and successes. 
And my final question to you is, as we celebrate Black History Month, who has been that influential figure in your life? Oh, that's a that's a great question. Um, so it's it's a it's a bit of, a bit of a difficult question to answer because um, I feel there have been so many people, um, black people, who've influenced my life and in so many different ways, and you know, mm. have inspired me, have encouraged me, and a part of the story that I bring to your to your audience today. Um, but I think you know, if I was to mention any individuals, I think it would actually be people who are not with me, um, and I, I won't name any particular person. But um, I had lots of role models, from my parents to um, lots of you know um, people who've helped me in my life, both professionally and mm-hmm. socially. So you know, I celebrate everybody. Um, everybody who you know, had had time to help me, had time to encourage me, had time to inspire me, and you know, I don't think there's any one a black person who's influenced my life. There, hmm. a multitude of people who I owe my immense gratitude and appreciation for what they've given to me and uh, what they continue to give to me in terms of um, who I am as a person. Hmm. Excellent. Well, I said that's a well said. Um, I believe you have two kids, right? Yes, I do. Um, Which I one of the two? Uh huh. <laughs> I have a daughter who's uh, fifteen and a son who's twelve. Okay, fifteen and twelve. Which one is leaning towards yeah. your line, becoming like dad? <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think. The, the the girl the girl seems a, a little more fascinated with what I do than than the boy, but um, you know things things could change. They're still at the that that at point in time where I was just about formulating where my thoughts were in terms of a career. So uh-huh. we'll see what the next couple see what the next couple of years um, <laughs> has in store okay. in, in terms of I what, know, right? what they want yeah. to do. Yeah, right. Yeah. Dr. Joseph Patrick Nkolola, Senior Staff Scientist at uh, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. It's an affiliate. Thank you for taking the time. I've really enjoyed this, my brother. I have really enjoyed this. And uh, next week, we'll be talking to an entertainer, a film producer. Believe it or not, a Zambian who is a producer, a film producer. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you so much, Nathan. Thank you for having me on on, on your show, and uh, thank you for um, allowing me to share my story with your with your audience. You're welcome. It was our pleasure. Let's all go back in uh, open forum. Okay.